I'm going to ask you to choose a memory. Okay. To relive. Do you know this prompt at all? No. Okay. That's fine. Um, it's in every episode of the show. So, you know, I, I learned something just now, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Remember so, when I said I'm really good at comforting people <laughs> and telling them what they want to hear? These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I'm Dave Marr. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I survived a month-long coma almost nine years ago. And now I'm asking questions of people like Neil Bardani. Neil is an ensemble member of the Neo-Futurists. Pound for pound, my favorite entertainment, live or on a screen, in the world at this moment. The Neo-Futurists are an incredible experimental theater company, and Neil is just as, you know, there's no even need to compare him to the others because he brings his own thing to the table, but it is a thing that I connect with quite, quite well. You'll hear in the extended conversation on Patreon the, the sort of mischief maker brain that uh, at least I recognized in Neil that I feel like we share. This is a really fun conversation. This was a, one of those where I hope we're hanging out after. It was uh, it was a blast. The, we had a lot in common. I also learned a lot from the things that we do not have in common. If you want to hear that full-length conversation, you go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. You become an afterhead. Five bucks a month. Think about all the things you you spend more than five bucks a month on. I listen. I don't like the budget, but don't even budget. Just hop on and do it. Just just do it. it. It's a famous catchphrase that I've invented for my Patreon, and you can get those full length conversations of every episode. This one, it, there's a lot more where this came from. So I, I really think you will get a lot out of that full-length convo if you join the Patreon. Also, there are after shows that I do with Claire Favret. Occasionally we do this is your the the Afterlife Movie Club episodes. So there's a lot there and I would encourage you to be a part of that community. At $15 a month, you become a pigeon level subscriber. And you get your name shouted out on every episode. So here we go. Fred Fidawa, Katie Llewellyn, Kurt Chang, Susie Carroll, Debo, Shuba Singh, and John Lee. Thank you very much to them. Either way, no matter what you do, I hope you enjoy the show. I hope if you do enjoy the show, you enjoy it enough to tell people about it. Other ways of telling people about it include posting reviews, sending texts to people. All that shit is great. Um, I we're we're stalling out on this fifty reviews goal. We're still at twenty four here, so hit hit a hit a five star if you listen on Apple, or if you don't normally listen on Apple, but you have the the podcast app, go and go and rate it real quick. You know, review it. That'd be sweet. So also listen to genre reveal party. There is a link in the show notes. It's my other podcast with previous guests of the show, Madeline Lane McKinley. We're talking about TV and movies. 
this cut. Wait, let's see. We just talked about. Well, we just released our succession finale episode. Oh, this coming this coming Friday, we're talking about the Michael Douglas trilogy. So, Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, and Disclosure. And then before that, we talked about A Serious Man. It's a really fun show. It's really nice to just talk about movies and TV and get deep with it, but not feel forced to get deep with it. Uh, it's a it's a nice nice pairing with uh, with this show. As a sober guy, this is what I do now, I guess. Podcast pairings as opposed to wine pairings. So that is what I've got to say. Thank you for listening. And here is Neil. I grab your whip and take it back to Shotown. When I'm in Shotown, I treat it like it's mine. Paint your hell. A custom hell designed for you. Oh, God. Okay. A custom hell designed for me is incredibly cold and windy. Okay. Like, I have a high tolerance for heat. So the idea of hell being hot was never really a turnoff. Okay, sure. So it's it's bitterly cold and windy. Um, and there are very few people there, but the people who are there are incredibly bad conversationalists Mm -hmm. like don't know how to read the energy of the room don't know how to read the responses they're getting from me and don't know how to like take turns in conversation so selfish selfish is definitely a piece of it yeah um but i think it's it's more about like just lacking self-awareness Okay. Um, you know, sometimes you'll be like stuck in a conversation with someone and it's clear that like maybe their story, like, like the story that they're telling should be approaching its end, but they feel it not quite landing how they want it to be. So then they start tacking on things. Maybe those things aren't even true. Yeah. And, or they just see this one isn't going to be the winner. So they immediately like dovetail Uh themselves. Uh, Uh, that's agonizing to me. Like that's absolutely agonizing to me. And, and that's why it's so – that's why the hell comes so specifically with so few people there because there then there's no one else to pivot to either. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. If, if my only pivot options are all people who do this, that's like the worst. <laughs> yeah. Like that's – Totally. Because because honestly, like, like probably like the inverse of that, my heaven is just like an everlasting great conversation yeah. where it just feels like the balloon just stays in the air the whole time mm-hmm. and everyone mm-hmm. knows how to pat it back and forth and everyone knows how to like – give it the right support based on what you just did. Um, yeah. Cause I, you know, I, I love being surrounded by and engaging in conversation with like really enjoyable people, Yeah, you know? And, and I think, I mean, speak in such general terms and everyone would say that I like yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to people I like. We could talk but, or yeah. not talk yeah. all day. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but there are few things worse than bad conversation to me and few things, few personality types worse than someone who doesn't know how to like just doesn't just doesn't understand the art of conversation. Totally. Yeah. Did you ever do stand up or open mics or anything? Uh I I've I've dabbled in open mic type stuff. So you've but, but seen never... that happen oh, yeah. in a in a comedy set situation. Sure. Yeah. Cuz that's what cuz I obviously know the conversation what you're talking about mm-hmm. but like yeah, the thing of like 
oh, this isn't landing. I got to tack another. Because to me, also what makes it bad is like one of the few things you can practice as a stand-up is time awareness. Mm -hmm. And people think that like knowing what five minutes feels like, knowing how to wrap up the light is just like a side thing. Right. But I'm like – Maybe it's maybe it's not a way to show respect because I, I kind of think of it as like an opportunity to take offense when people disrespect it. I'm like mm. I'm like this is an opportunity for me to be mad at someone. So that's how I'm thinking is if someone doesn't know their time, right? I right. can be upset. Whereas got if it, I were it, a healthier it, person, I would think yeah. of it in terms of like, <laughs> hey, here's a way we can all like respect each other. But I'm like, sure. ooh, here's a radar i can throw up that like if someone trips it i get to justifiably be mad at them but uh, i agree with that because i mean part of it is like if you're watching someone that means you're most likely paying to watch them right and if unfortunately not if you're doing open mics but yeah absolutely yeah 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 yeah. but i mean that to me comes with like if you're going to take the time to do a set to jump up on stage the idea ideally you would have like spend some time honing your craft. Right. And right. part of honing your craft isn't just writing the jokes, right? But it's like mm-hmm. it's figuring out the rhythm and the tempo and the pace and the right. the arc of it. Right. Right. So if it's clear that that work hasn't gone in, then you're in simplest terms, you're just not very good at it. And maybe you're just not very good at yeah, it. Yeah. Right. But, Which but, is, but, right, but, exactly. but in but in the more like specific way you're talking about, it feels like like offensive to the work, offensive to the genre, offensive to yeah. the art form, offensive to the audience to to be that sort of it oblivious. It feels to like that. it reveals something evil about you as a person. <laughs> like that you're like like so the stand up version is like when someone gets it kind of right. Yeah. Where they're like 2 minutes before their set ends, they've actually like nailed it. Sure. And then you're like or or you see them nail it and then they get the light and it's like Dude, if you just got a huge pop and the light, it's okay. Like you'll actually every your whole life will be better in this moment if you just get off stage. Get out of there. Yeah, just gotta get but out of there. To then be like, yeah, to think you need to tack something else on. Right, right. It's actually like a I actually like pulled this up. What is this? This Hanlon's razor. Have you heard of this? Does not ring a bell. Yeah. But- uh, is a saying that reads, never attribute to malice. That which is adequately explained by stupidity. Mm. And I love mm-hmm. to attribute to malice yeah. things that are explained by stupidity. And so, like, obviously these bad conversationalists right. aren't fucking evil. Right. But, man. It feels like it. It when, feels when you're, like when it. When you're stuck there, it feels like it. Yeah. Which I guess that speaks to your point of, of referring to it as selfishness earlier. Because it, it does, that's what it feels like in, right. in the moment. It's like, don't you get that you're occupying all the space? Well, and when you're so self-aware, cripplingly so, yeah, you like other people must be afflicted with this as well, right? And so for them not to be aware in that way feels like they are like crushing something so central to your being or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you do when you do start to think of that, like again, just to like lean further into this, like specific topic of conversation when you when you do have that sense of it as this like beautiful balloon that you're all keeping afloat it's like somebody just like grabs it and crushes it right it's like why did you do that like why would you do that do you not understand the game that we were playing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah and and i think you're right like the actual truth of it is is just no they don't understand the game and that's okay but 
When, but I spend my life yes, right. thinking about this I, I so hard. About the game. Right. I, I seek out the finest players of the game. <laughs> yes, with the most delicate touch on this balloon. Yes. Um Yeah, and right. So it feels frustrating, annoying, offensive, selfish. And yeah, so I my my purest form of hell is a windy, windy place with people who insist on crushing the balloon. <laughs> What do you hope happens when you die? I I hope there's some combination of... I do hope it's primarily nothingness. Okay. But I hope there is just enough of a momentary awareness for there to be like a moment of peace. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't want or need an afterlife. I don't feel like I need that. I don't uh I don't conceive of it in any way where there's any piece of our like earthly selves that would exist in that realm. Okay. Um because honestly that's just logistically I don't see how it would function relative to like the ages that we all might want to be. Sure. Like sure. like like if I want to be 24, say where does that lock in with like, what if my dad also wants to be 24? Then like, does that version of my dad, do I live in that afterlife with that version? You know what I mean? Like that seems like a very easy logistical thing to figure out. But then am I just like buddies with my dad at that point? And we're both 24. What do you want? What does he want? Like, like, so well, see, and this helps solve the problem of boredom Uh in the afterlife that Uh I think is one of the big things. Okay. You get to spend eternity figuring that out. What okay. does he want? What do you want? Sure. But I, but I'm what, not here to convince you. Yeah, uh, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah, what, yeah. what what I want is oblivion. What I want is like <laughs> a very very brief moment of peace where I know like this is what's happening. This is how it ends. Yeah, and then so you want like a a nice beautiful self awareness of death moment. Yeah, and okay. and 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 maybe. Maybe what I'm hoping for is that, like, internally, whether it's, like, psychological or intellectual or spiritual, I want that tiny moment to happen after physical death. Mm. Right? So, I I don't want it to be, like, the last three seconds that I'm alive to be, like, okay, here I go, and then it's lights out. I want what it if to someone's, be, like, fucking with your body or something uh, like Well, that? no, I just think it's a little more, like, beautiful if there's, like, a tiny moment after the physical Mm. body is right so like what what i would want is like physical lights out yeah something that clicks in the brain or heart or whatever piece of your soul that maybe you never were able to like connect with while in the physical form that thing knows that thing has a moment of like okay okay genie you're free now yeah and, yeah, and, yeah. and then it's lights out <laughs> okay okay and does that and that I'm not sensing any anxiety around that. You mean like that I would have if that's what it is, or like if in in that moment there would be no anxiety attack? No, 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 that 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 is what it is. Because my my question for people who are like want some sort of oblivion or yeah. like it yeah. is just like why you know how like that oh, doesn't terrify you constantly. You no. know what I mean? No, that I mean that's. That's when it's easy. 
you know? And and I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying like, oh, come on, death. Like, no, no, I'm no, waiting no, for totally. you. Yeah. But but, you know, if like this whole thing is is all like riddled with anxiety mm-hmm. and fun and joy sure. and, and beauty and all of that. But like I think like being able to like fully release like all of that. And, yeah. And and just like letting your consciousness fully fade away is or not even letting you don't have a choice in the matter. Is, sure. Is, is the, you know, like, do you grow up with that? Um, as a, as a assumption. I grew up. So I was the, the faith that I was like sort of raised under my, my parents. Um, my parents are, are both from India and they were both raised in like Jainism, which is like, okay. a um, it's like a, uh, not subset, but like it's a sort of a branch of Hinduism okay. that is like very specifically focused on um, like minimizing one's karma and mis- minimizing one's like earthly ne- negative earthly impacts yeah. in a lot of ways. And so th- the notion being that like reincarnation is a thing that exists and reincarnation in of the soul in various life forms Mm -hmm. and the way to escape from that cycle of reincarnation is to minimize like the, the karmic harm that you do. Sure. Right. So like whether that's like inflicting harm on other people or animals or things like that. Right. Right. So it's like by minimizing that, the notion being that you can extract the soul from this like cycle of reincarnation mm-hmm. and achieve like God realization or like attainment of like that spiritual place after your life. So with that as sort of a backdrop that I was raised under. And then I like pretty at a fairly young age, like maybe normal age, I kind of like pulled away from, from that sensibility and and kind of for for the majority of my adult life has have lived in that sort of like atheist agnostic realm yeah um and that, and and i'm i'm comfortable between those two spaces not needing to define it as one or the other yeah um so i think like i've 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 moved away from that notion that i was raised under and moved towards this more like I'm comfortable thinking of it as just nothingness, but I think like there's a version of that that other people would see as like that's that's the opportunity for the soul to like merge with this like larger yeah, 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 but it sounds like it, it it sounds like it has your what you've come to has traces of what you grew up with in the sense of like I don't know the like slowly peeling away layers your your sort of like it's like when you talked about this sort of peace moment after physical death yeah. it just feels like turning off lights in a house like yeah. various like rooms and and it does sound similar to kind of it it, it just like the the way you're describing jainism mm-hmm. it just it sounds like kind of trying to like disappear a little bit like I, I, yeah, that's not a perfect I, analogy, and, and, and I will also admit that like I'm no expert on yeah, of course, whatsoever. of course, like and no um, one's even, coming even, to you. Even my that. parents yeah. wouldn't claim that they were, but um, 
Yeah, so I I think there's probably something about that like extraction of the like human self of the physical self of the like identity yeah. and all of that that I certainly like um that I that I find some like attunement with, but at the same time I would say the difference for me is that it's like for me any 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 sense of like doing good on earth or like doing no harm or or what that oblivion looks like has nothing to do with like a specific desired outcome and a desired like post post mm. uh post physical life on earth outcome sure 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 which jainism still would yes. which is to like achieve enlightenment or yeah. reduce your karmic footprint or yeah. whatever yeah. okay cool but it, but you but you don't have implanted you didn't grow up with heaven and hell that could implant with you. So then correct. to That's have correct. the absence of those things doesn't freak you out at all. Correct. Yeah. I did not grow up with heaven and hell. Yeah. And yeah. And, and they've never, even on a literary level, they've never like spoken to me Wow, much, you yeah. know? And, yeah. I, and I think it is because of these, these questions, like these very simple logic questions of like, but how could that be? And why would that be? And and why would it be so specific to this version of me or that version of me? And how does that like literally like these like chronological questions of like, right. wait, but but if my grandma wants to be at this age and my nephew wants to be at this age, but they never lived at the same time. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, and so maybe that's like super simplistic and I'm just not allowing for the idea that like if there is a heaven, then like all things would be possible in that heaven. But right. but I also think, like, that's just not – I think it's fine if somebody wants to believe that. Like, I'm not going to tell them not sure. to, but it's – it doesn't do anything for me, you know? It doesn't, like, excite me or totally. turn me on or, like, give me a reason to live or a reason to want to die, you know? Mm-hmm. So So it's, like, it just doesn't, you know? I like of all the, like – you know, there's so many – I mean, certainly you've come across – the atheists who take great pride in like formulating the exact arguments that are designed to deconstruct these afterlife ideas. Yeah. But I love the idea that it's really just the ages <laughs> that they can't figure out the ages. And that's the real gotcha. It's no like, well, what about the moral implications of blah, blah, blah. No, it's no, just like no. dog. If you can't figure out the ages, don't talk to me with yeah. your fucking afterlife. Yeah, show me show me how it's going to work. Show me the plan. Show me the blueprint. Until then, I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to choose a memory okay. to relive. Do you know this prompt at all? No. Okay, that's fine. Um, It's in every episode of the show. So... You know, I, I learned something just now, but, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Remember so, when I said I'm really good at comforting people <laughs> and telling them what they want to hear? So, okay. So this podcast oh, yes, comes I'm from, sweating. oh my God, this podcast comes from my most recent one man show Yes, set in the afterlife. And in that show, there is a premise that I put forward that, um, you get to fully relive one memory, drop down into it, re-experience it mm-hmm. as really as any as the first time you experienced it. Mm-hmm. But you have to pick one. Mm-hmm. 
It's not that the rest of your memories get wiped. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like the perfect summation of everything. Mm-hmm. It's just as if it were a room you could pop into and out of mm-hmm. whenever you wanted. If that were the case, what memory would you choose? The first time that I was like really conscious and aware of how big of a deal it was when I like was in India in my grandparents' apartment with my whole family. I was, let's see, was right around or before kindergarten. So I was probably five years old. And, um, my mom's parents lived in this small three bedroom apartment for a long time. My uncles, my, my uncle and whatever people moved in and out of that house for a long time. But we had a lot of trips to India when we were growing up where like just a certain chunk of the family would go or like my dad would have to leave early because he would have work or whatever else. But being in Calcutta as a kid, was this really wild experience where I would love every second of it and couldn't believe who I was surrounded by and like how much fun they were and how exciting it was and how different everything felt and how overwhelming it felt. And at the same time, I was always crying about wanting to go back home because it just felt so far away. And it felt like, well, that's where my friends are and that's where my toys are. And that's where like, my summer vacation is supposed to be, you know, how like, long would these trips be? Um, at, at that age, they could be like up to like four or five, six weeks. Wow. So it would be like, there's your summer. Yeah. You know? Um, and especially like we talked about, like summer here is like, you know, you hold on to it. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, uh, it would be, it would be the same cause India's Northern yeah, hemisphere. So, yeah. Right? So it would be summer there. But right. like, but way hotter, right? Summer. Like 120. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 120, no air conditioning. But, um, but so you know, like, so a lot of these India trips on either side of it, the front side or the back side, depending on who was traveling when, the whole family wouldn't be there, right? Like, like my whole family of five, mm-hmm. my nuclear family wouldn't be there. So, so as a kid, like, I always had this feeling of like, I miss dad or I miss mom or like, mm. um, or like, at that time I was also like obsessed with like the idea of plane crashes. So like. It was always like, well, if dad's leaving early, of course his plane is going to crash wow. or like, you know, um, so being there in that apartment with my grandparents, the entire extended family, and then my whole nuclear family of five, um, just like sitting around the, like half of the people at the dining room table and half of us in the living room. Cause the dining room table wasn't enough for everyone. Mm. So we would, we were just like there eating and like it's loud and it's funny and it's exciting and it's not, um, it's just like really like low pressure and easy. And we're so many things in India growing up. were so intimidating. Going to the bathroom was intimidating. Speaking, trying to speak Hindi or not knowing Hindi or being scared that you're going to get put on the spot was so intimidating. But those moments in my grandparents' house when like, I knew like both of my parents are here. So like they can cover for me. Both my siblings are here, so I'm not alone. I've got all these cousins. I've got grandparents. Like, I actually am connected to other people in this world instead of, like, being back here where it's, like, it's just it's just the nuclear family, you know? Mm. Being over there, it's, like, we are bigger. We are more. There's so much of us. Yeah. Um. That That's what it would be. That's where I would want to be. That's still where I want to be. 
And it's just the feeling of connection to something bigger. Yeah. Just some, just more, you know, Mm. I like it's, yeah, just more, just feeling, just feeling that like abundance of like people and love and home, you know, like, um, but you, but you weren't thinking like, Oh man, if only my friends were here too. No, no, no. I would have never, never wanted those worlds to cross. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, that's, I mean, that's honestly like, that's a whole other big topic for like a whole different universe, I think. But, but that has to do more with like, at that young age, like discomfort with like crossing of cultures and like shame and things like that, that it was just like, um, you know, you can, you can love your grandmother more than anything in the world Mm -hmm. right and then the second she comes here and she's walking around your childhood neighborhood wearing a sari it's like oh no 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 no, what that's don't do that go back in the house right right and like that's you know years and years of shame that i've like worked through and continue like you know it's an ongoing process yeah um and i feel like i'm now on the healthy side of that sort of thing but yeah, so there was there was never a moment like of being in India where it was like, God, if only I had my like friends and toys here, that would be perfect. Right. You know? Um so it, so it's really like locking into those times when I was like able to forget about home and able to forget about like the things that I wasn't having and just really realizing like just how big of a deal this was and how special this was and how much I appreciated it. And the the older I got, the more that became central to the experience of being there. You know? And I think like that became like, like I've, I'm in all the times I've gone to India in the last 20 years, let's say there's never been a single moment where I was like, Oh, I wish I was home for that thing. Or I'm, I'm missing out on that thing at home. Sure. You know, sure. But, but it, it took time to get over that hump because it does feel like a literal world away. Are you, is your immediate family? Like, are there other family members that are over here or are you guys kind of isolated on so on my mom's side we're fully isolated okay like of my mom's family she's the only one who's here wow and then of my dad's side he was one of 10 kids or he he is one of 10 um and he him and three of his brothers came here so he has family still a minority yeah yeah. Yeah. And like, but even of those four brothers who came here, they're all in different parts of the country. Sure. Sure. Um, so it's like, maybe if you're lucky, you would see like one set of cousins once a year. Yeah. Did you feel more yourself over there? Were you like, oh, this is, I mean, I'm interested in like whether I've just been thinking a lot about family, mm-hmm. uh, and, and different configurations of it and different. Yeah you know, definitions of it. And I'm wondering if it felt like, yeah, you with family felt more you or if that's even the right way to think about it. I don't, I wouldn't say more me, but I would say like able to lean into a different side of me. What side is that? Like the Indian side, sure, specifically, sure, sure, you know. Sure, sure. Um, I think, like, again, especially as a kid, so much of my like youth was spent in different ways, like kind of hiding it, kind of being ashamed by it, and then being relieved 
if I found a friend with whom I didn't have to feel ashamed of it mm-hmm. or have to hide it from, you know, like, like the first time you have a non-Indian friend who you're comfortable sharing Indian food with yeah. is like a big deal. Wow. Or the first time it's like, you're not embarrassed that your parents are speaking Hindi in front of them, you know, like those are like big moments and a big deal. So, you know, I think like over here, so much time and effort was unfortunately spent like trying to like hide that stuff and bury that stuff or being ashamed of that stuff. And then over there, there was always the other thing of like, oh, you're so American, you're so American, you're so American, you know? Like, right. Um, and, and that's okay and understandable because it's true. Like I never really learned Hindi well and mm-hmm. like I was born and raised here. Yeah. Um, but it, it allowed me to like see and appreciate that piece of who I am, which is like a major piece of who I am. And then like over the years, it's only given me more and more room to like lean harder into it and like move past that like shame or discomfort with like that part of yeah my personality or culture or like skin or whatever else, you know. And being in the house yeah. with extended family including immediate family. Right. Because I like the fact that it's like, you can't have the more if the foundation of the nuclear family isn't there. If you're missing one person, we're thinking about plane crashes the entire time. Correct. But if you do have that nuclear family surrounded by the extended family, it's, it sounds like people are not, it sounds like the, oh, you're so American was, you didn't, it sounded like your family was not the ones primarily saying you're so American or making you feel that way. Yeah. Or, or they, they would, but it just felt different if yeah. like my parents were there to be like, well, what do you expect from them? We raised them there. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's embarrassing as a kid to be like called out for those sorts of things. Yeah. You don't know how to respond. You're just right. like, I'm just who I am. You know, like yeah. I'm, I'm literally six. Yeah. Like, um, but you know, but when your parents are there to be like, well, of course they're American. Like, that's where they live. That's where they go to school. That's what their friends are. You yeah. Know? Then it's like, then this thing that ultimately was just harmless teasing anyways is made that much more toothless by the fact that your parents are just like, yeah, who cares? Right. Are there sensory uh, inputs, feelings, what's the word I'm looking for, that go along with this memory or is it just this emotional so so humid and hot and you're just like constantly glistening like yeah you're never not like sweating like from like right here from like your like temples yeah like your your the pores of your temples like constantly um but like it feels fine and it feels like um it just feels like this is just what it is here you know there's like the like when you get off the plane in in I don't want to say like India across the board like it's all like a monolith but sure. like specifically like we would usually fly into Delhi and like the second the cabin doors open you like feel especially if you're traveling in the summer like you feel the warmth you feel the humidity you feel right. the intensity of like the smells and the the sounds and everything is just so particular and. You do get acclimated to it pretty quickly because it's so overwhelming that, like, how could you not? Right. You know, like, um, but, but it is very, very intense. And if you ever, like, take a moment to really, like, pull yourself back out of it, it's like, wow, this is, like, really a big deal. And mm-hmm. this is so extreme what I'm feeling on every sensory level yeah, right yeah. now. Um, 
Yeah, like there was a while where, and maybe it still is, but they're like, the like national tourism slogan was just incredible India. And like, I remember being like, it should be overwhelming India because it's just mm. like, like, that's what it feels like to like get there and be like, the traffic, the lights, the sounds, right. the people, the smells, the, the heat, the like, all of it is just like, um, it's just kicked up to degrees that like just don't exist in this country. Totally. I mean, that's how I think of it when I think of going there. Yeah. Is like, yeah, it sounds totally overwhelming. Yeah. But yeah. in, in such an incredibly beautiful way. Like, it's really like, we were talking earlier about like, that desire to leave Chicago that exists in all yeah. of us at, yeah. at various times and to various degrees. And like, Calcutta is the first place I would go. Really? Like, yeah. If someone was like, you have six months to like, go wherever you want. Like, that's absolutely where I would go. Is it? Because the because the thing it speaking of the desire to leave Chicago yeah and the thing that I didn't mention earlier is that like I think my I think the New York impulse is mostly dried up in mm-hmm. the, it just feels like whatever I was trying to do before yeah those parts of me have evolved it feels like whatever I would be trying to go there for doesn't exist if it ever did and but the thing that had the way you're describing india makes me think of new york in that like packed with people no free block to just look and no human being is crossing your path is that i it can't be the same no it's not like that because like the thing that I'm describing is, like, specifically, like, in the cities, right? Yes, but, yes, yes. But, like, even in even in Calcutta, like, even, like, where my grandparents' apartment was, um, you know, like, like you can, like, walk down, like, narrow alleys and towards parks and, and down, like, unpaved streets where, like, you might come across three people, you know? Mm-hmm. So... So there are absolutely like pockets and places and, and let alone like if you travel across the country by train, you're going to pass like wide open fields sure, and, and sure. farmland and like all sorts of like uninhabited areas or like sparsely inhabited areas. Um, so I, I think like the thing that you're picturing and the thing that's most commonly encountered is that like urban life. Right. And, and that's where it's like at like, you know, 150% all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's like the super intense piece of it. But then. Even inside of those, there are, like, spaces and places that are, like, more of what you might be accustomed to here or, like, you know, like, yeah. walk down. What's the experience, a- though, of being there in the overwhelm that it is, mm-hmm. but not in the super popular? Like, what are you being overwhelmed with when it's not people? Or what do quiet moments feel like? Yeah, Quiet moments are like so beautiful in the sense that like there's a lot of like, oh, I'm walking down this like unpaved street and there's just like beautiful plant life that I've never seen before. And here's like a cow and like four stray dogs, yeah, you know, and that's it. Yeah. Right. And like stuff like that. Like I, I went a few years ago for a cousin's wedding and it was just me and my parents. And so I was spending a lot of time on my own and I would just go for long walks in the morning. And that was in kind of a remote, um, they call it a station town. 
And yeah, and so I had like a lot of time to walk like right after sunrise and, um, you know, and there's like, sure, there's like dilapidated stone buildings, but just like just a lot of openness, a lot of like open air. And then, yeah, and then like random like packs of goats or pigs or cows or dogs or whatever. And and like this like lush, untamed greenery that you've never seen before. And um, and it doesn't feel like anyone's like rushing over to corral any of that anytime soon. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, like you're not going to find many pockets like that in a country like ours that don't also have like real estate signs on them. Right. You know? Um, so for all of the like growth that they have experienced, there's also still a lot of, um, that very, uh, and I'm trying to think of how to say it without seeming like I'm like, um, infantilizing, but, um, but you know, like there is a lot of spaces and areas that just feel like, they are still untamed or, or just like still very like close, much closer to their natural state. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and going to be allowed to remain such for, for a period longer. Totally. In these, this moment that you're sort of this, like, which feels like an amalgam of multiple moments, mm-hmm. uh, as a kid yeah. feeling surrounded by the family. Yeah. Um, are there games that you, what, what activities would people be doing? Was yeah. it eating? Was so, it, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I like that you were able to very like quickly, like notice and acknowledge that it's kind of a pastiche of, of, of a series of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like course. a singular moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So like late night cards was always a big thing. Okay. Um, with, across the whole, or was like certain age groups? Yeah, no, and, and that's what was cool because so much of what's done there is done in shifts, like when it comes to like eating and working. And, um, you know, it's like this group of people are going to eat first while these people serve them and cook the food. And then there's going to be like a rotation. And wow. So, so there's not a ton of like, there's not a ton of moments where everyone is just relaxed together. Yeah. Um, and so then that's when you would get that would be like after after the final round of people have eaten dinner, then you start settling in. Then the whole family gathers to play cards. And that's like from grandparents all the way down to youngest grandchildren. What games? Um, so the main game that we played was this very simple game that we just called Three Down. Okay. Where it was like you start the game, everyone starts the game with three cards. And then the idea is to like lay down sequences in sets so like if you have like a five six seven you can play that you can play a minimum of three cards and then if you can play on that because you have the eight of that same suit Mm. then you could play on that so it's a super simple game but you know it's just about getting rid of all of your cards first um but it's the sort of game that like everyone could understand um everyone as people's eyesight began to go could still like see clearly like what needed to be done in the game and simple enough that you could still like laugh and talk through it. You know, mm-hmm, like it, it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't pull the attention in such a way that you could only talk about the game. Right, right, uh, right, right, right. Which again is a big thing. Like we were talking earlier about like the art of conversation and like the, the desire for, for good, fun, exciting conversation all the time. <laughs> um, 
which I, I want to jump back to in a moment. But um, but but so this game was like beautiful for that too. It was just yeah. like super conducive to like playing it and having it having other things happening conversationally okay. at the same time. Okay. Yeah. What do you want to jump back just, to well, the conversation stuff about? I think I, I've I'm re- I've recently had a couple of conversations with friends about my like obsession with conversation and my okay. obsession with like constantly like being in conversation and having it like brought to my attention that like that I'm kind of like um bleh. it's kind of relentless how much and how often I want to <laughs> like, okay like I've noticed with a couple of people lately where it's it's even getting to be like we're gonna talk again. We're gonna talk again. We're gonna talk again. You know, like okay. not not like they're getting sick of me or anything. Yeah, else, yeah. But just like wow, we've really been talking a lot lately. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. Where like I'm even noticing myself. Like, man, am I like getting almost like too addicted to this? So what a funny thing to feel addicted to. Yeah. I mean, it's like just like it's like saying you're addicted not to lasagna, but just to eating. It's yeah. Like, yeah. What, what well, do you mean addicted? I, th- I think it's because it, I've, it's been named a lot recently. Like, I don't, I don't know if you saw this, this play that was in the wrench recently, uh, the infinite wrench over at the Neo Futurist mm-hmm. Theater, um, with, with myself and Abby Pajakowski that it was Trent's play and it was Trent's play about mine and Abby's, like, the way that we, like, converse and banter. And it yeah. was like, um, because apparently we have a very Abby's like, the one who had the wheatgrass play, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, cool. yes. Um, and apparently we have a very like I mean I mean we do like we 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 have a fun, super joyful, super exciting dynamic when the two of us are in conversation with each other, and it's like we love to like challenge each other and crack each other up. And Abby's someone who like as soon as I'm with them, I can feel like my wheels turning. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, um. So it's one thing to like have that experience with a person and know like, oh, cool. It's always fun to talk to this person. Mm-hmm. And then it's another thing for another person to like, not only observe it, but like literally like make art about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, it puts you under this weird spotlight of like, um, for a while, while that play was in the show, then anytime I was talking to Abby, I could feel eyes on us. Like people are like, oh, they're doing it. They're doing that thing. That yeah. Um, and so I think like moments like that have just like, forced me to like see it from the outside in a way that I would like prefer not to. It just sounds like shame. It it wasn't shame because it, it was not with, that it was intended it, it was as shame, it, but it, it feels like just what you're both excitable and maybe can, <laughs> can whip each other up when you're around it. Is that the, the vibe? I think the the vibe was just the vibe was, the vibe was Trent saying, it seems like you guys are really tense and intense together. Okay. And for me and Abby, it's just like, no, we're just like having so much fun, like riffing with each other, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, but we get why from the outside it might look tense, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because we're also both super sensitive people, right. but like we, God, now I'm like quoting myself from inside the play, it's but it's okay. but it's like we, we we trust ourselves and we trust one another with our sensitivities enough to be able to like yeah. climb that ladder together. Um, That's or, great, or like go up the ladder and like play chicken with each other at the top of it. And so I think like either way, like the play was written out of love from Trent, um, but it was like just a thing he was observing, yeah, right. 
And so, but the thing you're experiencing now that you're describing yeah. with people pointing out your addiction to conversation, yeah, I wouldn't is, call it, I wouldn't call it shame, but it's but it's like yeah. it's like it's having to look at it from the outside in a way that I would prefer not to, right? You know what I mean? Well, it sounds like it's changing your relate. It's like it sounds like it's making you ask like. Should I enjoy a little, this? a little, a little bit of that? And Which, I, how do you I, even and I'm address? Not, that? I'm not actually asking myself. That I know, question, I know, I know. But yeah, but yeah, it, you know, it's like it's just a reminder that other people are like looking at you and thinking about you, right? Which is also nice. It's nice to feel seen. Yeah, I guess so. You know, it's actually it's just great on all right. Fronts. <laughs> it, it, it all feeds me. the ego. So ultimately, like, who am I to complain? So it sounds like what you're where you're at is like wondering if. I don't even know what the end point of the the questioning is, is what you're supposed to not talk to people, not not hits. Maybe certain people don't want to talk as much in certain ways or something, but that sounds horrible. It all sounds horrible. Yeah. I And I don't like none of these conversations have like felt like critical in any way. Yeah. I, I think they've all just been like people like getting to know me and then like learning a thing about me. Yeah. And naming that thing, right? And the fact that you've had this conversation about this thing. Yeah. Now they're pointing to it even more. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But so, is it not making you feel self-conscious in no, a way you need I mean, to No, I mean, ulti- ultimately it can't because it's like, that's still like what I do. I hang out with people and I talk to them. Right. You know, like, and that's like. Also, that's like what everyone, right? right. <laughs> it like, it becomes so absurd when you're talking about yeah. it. Oh no, yeah. like, yeah, you take half a step back and you're like. Neil Neil <laughs> likes to talk. To, yeah, yeah. Of course he does. What yeah. What are we talking about? Right. But I do. But I'm not saying that that's my perspective. Yeah. No, I hear you. I I think it is true that I'm a very very talky person. Same. Yeah. I just I just wish you didn't. Which it sounds like you don't. So maybe I assumed. I just wish you didn't feel the need to question that. Yeah, I I think questioning it is even too strong, you know? Yeah. I think I think I'm I'm just telling like this is on my mind because it's like fairly fresh. Yeah. You know? So I I think like if not, I would have just been like, yeah, whatever. Like I talk to people. But I think like because I've like suddenly like been hanging like when the the twenty twenty class of Neos got cast, that was like during COVID time. Yeah. So like I've only like really gotten close with those folks in the past year or so. And then there are like other people in the company who I've like only gotten closer with recently. So it's like these people who I like ostensibly knew, but now I'm like really getting to know mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. are like discovering me and I'm discovering them. It's like that sort of thing where yeah. it's just like learning each other, learning who we are. And then like we're all people who like, whether it's through the work or just through conversation, tend to like see each other and ref- ref- reflect back on like who we see and what we see. Right. Yeah. So it's like hearing those things about yourself where it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like I, I guess that's true. I didn't really think about that very specifically because like, I don't think about that. Like, I don't need to think about that specifically. I know I just like like hanging out with people and talking to people. Yeah. But then why are we talking about this in the middle of talking about you being in India with your family? Um, yeah. Why did we land that? Oh. You oh, said, oh, you, because, said oh. you wanted to come back to it. it you, you really put a fine point on saying how important it was that we get to That's this. That's true. And I'm really kind of going to hold your feet to the fire here and say – why are we talking about this when this when wow you were talking about your family that feels like a call out um i think because i okay so here's the other side of this here's the other side of this for all of this that i've told you yeah. about what a talker i am right i've never been a talker around my family 
Okay. Like, I've always been the smallest voice, the quietest person in the room. At my own wedding, my uncle gave a speech. And he said in that speech, Neil is a man of very few words. (laughs) And all of my high school friends and all of my college friends, like, jerked their heads in my direction. Like, full bug eyes, what the hell is this man talking about? Has he never met you? And, like, you know, I was sitting at the table where I was uh, with my wife, couldn't, like, respond to them in that moment. But, like... Yeah, like that was that was very clearly this moment of like I really do live two very different lives like between like who I am like socially and around my like peer group and chosen friends versus like how I've presented over the years with my family. Yeah. So that was like super revelatory and then And I think when I, when I think about it, when I was like thinking about like talking about it like in India and like over those card games, like even then, like I was not a big contributor to the conversation, but I just loved the noise of it yeah. around me, you yeah. know? And for whatever reason, family dynamics, potential language barriers, et cetera, in those moments and in those situations, I didn't feel equipped to like jump in and be an equal participant in it. Mm-hmm. And so then as I got older, moved on, branched out, then it was like so clearly like this is in my blood. I just couldn't do it with my blood. You know what I mean? Like, right. like I also had this like joy and love of like big, boisterous, fun conversation. But for some reason, the people who I inherited it from are the people I'm least capable of engaging. Which is so with. interesting that of all the moments to choose to inhabit, you choose the one where you're listening rather than speaking. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't like, there's no moment that I would want to like, if you, you said like, pick a memory that you could like go back and fully be in. Yeah. Like, that's not me talking. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go back and hear my own voice. Right. I guess there are a couple I could probably think of where I would want to. Yeah. <laughs> where I really nailed it. Sure. Where sure I really sure. said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of many of the things I've said. I just. <laughs> What's your coma is the question, is the last question. Uh-huh. What it means yeah. is nine years ago, 2014, yeah, eight and a half years ago, mm-hmm. I was in a coma for a month. Yeah. Did you, do you know that? I do. Okay. Yes. So it's one of many moments in my life where I can look back and say before I was one guy, after I was another. Mm-hmm. Other moments are not nearly as dramatic as that. I think everyone has like dozens of these moments maybe throughout their lives Mm -hmm. but i'm curious Mm -hmm. if you have one moment that you can look back and say this was pre blank neil Mm -hmm. this is post x moment neil Mm -hmm. this is not this isn't nearly as heavy so much as just a demarcation line well take some more time and 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 get back to heavy heavy. okay okay Um, oh no no of course of course yeah 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 Yeah. um so after I graduated from college, um, from DePaul University with a BA in English, um, you might be very surprised to learn that, like, I couldn't find a job. <laughs> um, yeah. because who the fuck needs a graduate with a BA in English from DePaul? 
in 2004 or even in 2023. Yeah. Um, so anyways, so I putzed around for a while and then eventually I got a job folding shirts at H&M and that was not a thing that I was going to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, but you were uh, well prepared because H and M are both letters. That's of the right. Alphabet, and I knew and you them. knew writing. I knew and, both of them. Yeah, yeah. And the ampersand. I yeah. knew the word for ampersand too. Um, thank you, DePaul University. Um, so, anyways, so a year passed after graduating, and I'm I like was like looking for like figuring out what to do with myself, and I moved to Costa Rica. And ended up living there for a year. Wow. And that was like, you know, I never went to grad school. I never did study abroad. Um, and I never learned a word of Spanish. But I... Even in Costa Rica? No. So so once I was there... Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Before making the very wise decision <laughs> okay, to okay. move to Costa Rica, yeah, yeah. Um, my friend Maria said to me, do you know what Costa Rica means? And I said, no. <laughs> and she, yeah, what like rich coast? Rich coast. Rich coast okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know. Um, so, so I made that decision in uh, the summer of 2025. Moved there in September of 2025. And wait, what? Not. I'm sorry, that's not right. 2005. I was 2005. going crazy. Yeah, no, I, I was like, what is happening yeah. in my brain? Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> Things are coming loose now. You know what it is? Um, if I can, if I can pop out for a second, yeah. is like, it's funny. Just the shape. You'll be able to appreciate this. Is like the shape these shows take, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, normally I ask someone like, "What's their coma?" and that does not at all need to be the most heavy or intense yeah. answer. But coming at the end, I'm like ready for it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But once you've just spent enough gas <laughs> uh-huh. on certain other things, yeah. all of a sudden it's 2025 right. when you're answering the question, you know? But I like it. Okay, so you're going to Costa yeah. Rica 2005. So, yeah, so it's 2005 and I go and I don't know exactly why I'm going and I don't know when why, I'm coming back or why if I'm Costa coming. Why Costa Rica? Um, so, I mean, I know why I'm going in the fact that like I like signed up for this program to like get a um, TEFL certification, like teaching English as a foreign language. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So, <clears throat> so I knew I was going to go down there, spend a month getting certified for that, and then figure it out. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. And so I spent a month in in a in a beach town called Manuel Antonio, and I got certified there, and then. You're more or less on your own to find work. Um, and there was like a cohort who took the class together who you were kind of like could tether yourself to as much as you wanted to or not. Okay. And so I kind of like weaved in and out of that group. Um, but that really like, especially as someone who like grew up like pretty tight with my family, went to college in the town that my family was from, um, that was like the actual first like breakout moment you know of like going away with no plans to come back and at the time i genuinely thought like this could be like long term yeah um and so i went there and like it was like it was super intense it was fully immersive like so i basically ended up like just like learning spanish just by like pure immersion right and i'm not great at it but like at the time at the time, I could get by conversationally with anyone, mm-hmm. and and I can still like you know if you if you drop me there today like 
in a week, I would be fine. That's amazing. Um, but it kind of all flipped. And that was where I was really like, that was the first time I actually felt like a person, I think, you know, and that was the first time I really felt like, oh, I don't have to feel connected to a place or connected to my family or connected to like my friends or my upbringing or like anything. Um, and like, and I think like self-teaching the language was huge for that in terms of like, I got better at Spanish than I ever have been or probably ever will be at Hindi, you know, despite wow. being raised by like Hindi speaking parents. Yeah. And, and I think just like realizing like that, that was where I came to this like realization that I've like carried with me through life, which is like, everything is just people where like things used to intimidate me. Like the idea of like calling the bank or like doing something that seems like it's like above my like yeah level. Yeah. Right. Of like, oh, you can't talk to this like person in authority because that's like a big deal. Or you mm -hmm, can't like approach mm -hmm. this institution in this way because that's a big deal. And then really like realizing, whoa, everything's just people and everything's pretty easy once you realize it's just people, you know? Say and more. I, I, I have a sense of what you mean, but I want to hear like, your words Like most people aren't that smart and most people aren't that hard to deal with or like like even if they're like not even if they're like a difficult person yeah it's not hard to figure out that someone's difficult and then once you figure that out it's not that hard to figure out like why they're difficult or how to like how to how to work your way through their difficultness uh -huh. you know and so that was just a lot of time of being alone in a lot of different and unique and unexpected situations and challenges of like, how am I going to get a house? How am I going to like, how am I going to get a bank account? How am I going to like get to this teaching job? That's like four buses, you know? Right. And, and like a lot of this like sounds so like simplistic, like basic, like study abroad type of stuff, but it was, it was without the, like the tether of a university or an institution yeah. that was sort of like, um, allowing for that to happen. Um, and so it was this sort of like, first moment of like fully forced or self-imposed independence and like feeling myself come out of that or, or, or get halfway through that and be like, wow, I really think I'm a person now for the first time, you know, like it, like it really felt like, okay, this is me being like born. Uh, I'm not going to say born again, but uh, th this feels <laughs> like being like actually born into the world now. Like I was born into like a house and a family as a child. Sure. And this feels like, okay, now I'm being born into the world in a way that like I can like handle the world and like there's just knowing how to move through it. Yeah. N knowing how to move through it and knowing that like, um, knowing that logistically speaking, nothing is that hard, right? Like I'm, mm. I'm not, I'm not speaking about the emotional experience yeah, yeah, of life yeah. and being a human. Yeah. Like obviously that's like it's whole, it's own whole other thing, but just like the logistics of moving through the world are, are easier than we sometimes tell ourselves they can be. And they're easiest once you remind yourself that everything is just people, you know? So and let me, let me present you some situations. Okay. Don't make enough money mm -hmm. to, to like, to get beyond living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. How do you, how does everyone is, everything is just people help that. 
realizing that there's no one that you can't ask for some level of help to some degree. Okay. Right. Um, doesn't mean it's going to be like you're going get, to get your dream job, sure. a satisfying job, a fun job. Yeah. Um, but but I think like once you remember everything, everything is just people, then it's like it takes away a lot of the need for like the shame that I was talking about earlier. Because mm-hmm. like everyone is everyone else has their own shame also. Right. So like asking for help becomes easier and asking for what you need or just like being comfortable saying what you need becomes easier. Right. Once you remember that like other people have those needs also and other people, um, if they're in higher powers or higher positions of power or institutions, like they also at one time weren't, um, you know, so like knowing that there is that piece of them that you can appeal to in that way. Did this come to you gradually? Through the Costa Rica experience, or was there like a moment where you were like, "Oh, like I think it yeah. was it it was very slowly and then all at once." You know, it, it's okay. that it's that moment of like realizing like, "Oh, I've suddenly like gotten all these things done that all of them seemed like they were going to be super hard to do." You know, in terms mm. of like getting myself situated there. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it was like that looked like a list of. That looked like a, a, a 10 point to do list of like 10 things that felt like they were going to be impossible. Right. And then as, as like things were happening, um, I was like, oh, these are happening because I'm doing them and I'm doing them because I'm just like talking to people, forcing myself to do them. Right. While I'm talking to people, I'm forcing myself to learn this language so that I can talk to them. And now that I can talk to them, I can figure out how to do this thing, how to get this place, how to get this bank account, how to get this bus to this other place. Um, and, and so I think like once you realize like, Oh, I've done all of these things. Now this, this list that seemed impossible done. I'm not acting like this was like in a war zone or in the most like hostile yeah, environment, okay. you know, yeah, yeah, I get but it. it, but it's literally like, this is the experience of like being 23 and sure. like, and, and like suddenly realizing like, Oh, I can, I can function in this world and I can, uh, right. I can, I can make things happen and I can move around in it. And, and that realization would not have happened if I hadn't realized that all of these things are just people and all these people are people who can be talked to and worked with and reasoned with and like worked, worked down if that's what you have to do, you know, like, like if, yeah. if, if like, it's not all easy, but it's it's easier once you realize it's just a person on the other side. And people as opposed to what did you think they were before? Like systems maybe or systems and rigid. institutions. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and everything is daunting when you think it's an institution. Right. You know. Um everything seems more intimidating, everything seems more of a colossus that like one person couldn't possibly like take on. Right. See, because I've experienced, I think, I think where I'm at right now is finding some comfort from recognizing that some things are institutions Mm -hmm. and that like, thus X thing I'm experiencing is not uniquely hard for me. Mm Mm-hmm. It's designed, and and I would be so surprised if you were like, no, I don't believe in any sort of systemic problems whatsoever. Oh, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, but 
but I but I know what you're saying. Yeah, and and I don't know. I'm not trying to like. I'm I'm trying to I I'm re- this is like re- a really fascinating thesis mm-hmm. that we could come at from a lot of different angles. Oh, for sure. And that is really it, it sounds really comforting. It's like and it makes a lot of sense because it is really true. Like the ways in which it's true. Yeah. Yeah, which which and you're right, right? Like if if you have like an issue with like a billing issue with the insurance company, right? right? They might just say, fuck you. Like, we don't care. And We've so in your- that situation, the people are almost like refusing to be people. They're yeah. going, oh, this, the thing says this. I'll lose my job if I don't say this right. thing again. Right. So, so the notion of, or, or like the notion and or the comfort of everything is just people doesn't mean that everything is like imminently solvable yes right and that like everything is good because everything is just people right or everything is achievable because everything is just people yeah it just means there are some things that we tell ourselves are impossible or tell ourselves can't happen that we often think that i think because we think of them as these colossal institutions yeah. and and some of these things are easier easier to work through if you can shrink the thing down in your mind right nothing's black and white mm-hmm. but if you see the existence of people in whatever situation there's some hope there at least yeah a little bit yeah because and and because because and just to be clear even the idea of saying everything is just people the back end of that is not and people are ultimately all good. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's yes, certainly yes. – that's certainly not part of my, like, philosophy of the world or right. life. Um, it, it's literally just the statement of fact that, like, these companies, these corporations, these institutions, these systems are literally, like, bodied by human beings. It's kind of like the Ursula Le Guin thing of uh, her talking about – uh, what is it? What is it? The, you know, people talking about, uh, capitalism seeming, uh, completely. I know, I know the quote ends with like, so did the divine right of kings. Oh, sure. Yes. You know what I mean? Just like that, like, right. Things that feel like permanent and impervious to any sort of like, resistance or or right but the fact that it's people means actually they can change exactly yeah right right and and things you're in pretty good company there you and yeah big ukg yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um wow yeah yeah ul just ul (laughs) (laughs) it's like h&m but it's (laughs) unl but it's also like i mean it's it's funny (laughs) that this also would be where you land Considering the conversation stuff we've talked about, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it makes total sense that you are like that. Everything is just people, yeah. And I can talk to people, right? So right. here we go, yeah, yeah, right. Because like, what else is there? You know, I, like I've I've been talking with with folks lately about like this notion of like being like conflict averse, and I really, really, really don't like that term. I think people. Um, comfort themselves by calling themselves conflict averse. Oh, I always um, thought of it as like an insult. 
Okay, well, good because I because I'm watching Selling Sunset at the moment. Oh, okay. and the the woman who's incapable of managing the office. Mm. All the other agents say that she doesn't like conflict, and it's always meant as a a derogatory. Okay, interesting. See, because my okay, that then may, maybe I should watch that and check it out and see if this aligns. Yeah, with great what show. I'm saying because. <laughs> Really good. I think you'll learn a lot about how to communicate with people. I have heard a lot of people talking about it lately. It's it's Um, over the... Yeah. yeah. It's maybe the first couple seasons. Sure. But like, so the notion of being conflict averse, you know, I I, I think people... Yeah, maybe they mean it in a derogatory way where they'll be like, yeah, I'm conflict averse. I'm not good at like broaching the hard whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And for me... What that actually is, is like, no, you're just confrontation averse, averse, but, but you're, you seem to love conflict because you're not willing to do the thing to like, yeah, push past it. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you're confrontation averse because you won't take it on. And by not taking it on, you're just letting the conflict linger and fester and get worse. Totally. Um, and so I would say I actually do consider myself conflict diverse because i'm very down for the confrontation hell yeah you know and i like to like face that piece of it head on so that then we can like get rid of the conflict i think i think what i would like to be i'm i'm down for confrontation what i fear is that the worst parts of me don't necessarily want the conflict to dissipate just Mm. need to feel alive and Uh and and have a little bit of (laughs) So the warm comfort of beef with another person. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand yeah. that. I yeah. understand that. Um, yeah, it's fun. I, I, I think you commented on a thing that I said recently about common enemies being a thing that makes the world go round, and like the the idea of like bonding with another person over a common enemy is absolutely something I believe in. Oh, a hundred percent. And my way of like making friends so often mm-hmm. my one of my speaking of moves but not like comforting a yeah, yeah, yeah. you know grieving person yeah a move of like friendship mm-hmm. is like assuming i'm i'm great at assuming familiarity yeah which is a high risk reward sure, proposition sure, sure. yes it is if the, the reward is like i might have a fucking you know comrade in arms here right if you give someone the right look during a theater piece yep. or you squeeze the leg yep. or you're like Just, you know, the boss leaves the room and you're like, this is fucking bullshit, right? right. But a lot of people don't like, you know, the risk is like, oh, huh? You're like, and you just feel your heart sink at like, like, oh, this person. I thought you were one of mine. I thought you were my kind. Yeah. This person doesn't view things through the same uncharitable lens that I view. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I was telling my friend Anna the other day that like if I were a knuckle tats type of person I would get born hater across yes, my knuckles H A T R um because I know that that's in me it's also a thing that I like try to battle back against, yeah, which, yeah, which yeah. is why I wouldn't embrace it via knuckle tats but yes. <laughs> well th- see that is to me the thing is like to embrace being a hater and not want to stay there. Like, yeah, that was the, that was the problem with a lot of standups is just like this, like presenting your dysfunction without any desire to solve it. Mm. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. dude, it's not that interesting to me that you like 
hate other people or whatever. Right, it's like, right. well, well listen, we can talk about how we hate other people, yeah. but then also how we kind of hate ourselves right. for hating other right, right, people. Right, right, right. That's where it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> That's the show. Thanks to you. Thanks to Neil. Click the links in the show notes. Just go one by one. Be be really perfectionist about it and try to try to click them all and, and read every word on every page. Go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr and hear more bonus content. And until next week, remember, you are a mist. You can do miracles. Miracles, you can do them. Have faith, you are human, only human, and human beings they do.